welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, I wanted to welcome a special guest today. Everyone listening, please welcome Joey, the Cypreneur. Joey, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what gets you excited about life? Sure. Well, first off, thank you for inviting me to be here. I am Joey Dowdy, also known as the Cypreneur, and I am a performance coach for business owners. And what gets me excited about life is waking up in the morning, checking my phone or checking my telegram messages and seeing my clients improving themselves. That's been the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And how did you get into this line of work by accident? Was it always a passion or dream of yours? Any thoughts on that? The path that brought me here started as an attempt to improve myself. Throughout my life, I've lost about 100 pounds. In the summer of 2018, I was stuck on the last 10 to 20. And so I started reading my first ever personal development book on a whim. I'd never read one before. And there was something in that book that really blew my mind and changed my life, changed my perspective on everything. So as many people do, I got kind of addicted to that kind of content. But after a few months, I got kind of sick of the cliches and the bad advice and the platitudes and all that. So I started studying psychology and neuroscience and physiology to understand how my body and my mind actually worked. Then after a few months of doing that, I realized that I could start using what I had learned to help other people. And so that's where I got the idea of starting to make content. I started making YouTube videos. And then last year in 2020, I started getting on Twitter and building up my network and community there. And then I realized that I could start doing personalized one-on-one coaching. So I transitioned from kind of coaching myself to coaching other people. What was that like the day you woke up and you realized your life was changed forever? which it sounds like for the better, it sounds like quite the epiphany. And what I always say to people when I see or hear that, when I know I've got those pivotal moments, there really is no going back. There wasn't any going back. And that was something that I was feeling at a certain point, especially when I started making content creation a priority, even in the early days back on YouTube. I knew that I could never give up this dream, this vision of what I wanted to create. And the vision was always changing, of course, but I knew that it was going to become something one day if I put enough time and effort into it. You know, I had a pretty good job on paper. I actually just left the software engineering industry. This is my first full-time week as an entrepreneur. And when you have a pretty good job, it's even harder to think about leaving that behind. And it was honestly very stressful, both mentally and physically, maintaining my career and my business. But I knew that there wasn't any going back. You know, I got a taste of the impact that I could have on people, whether they were a client or just in my community. And the final push for me putting in my two-week notice of resignation was realizing I had a responsibility to my current clients and my potential future clients to free up my time and give them the best of myself that I can give. That's incredibly inspiring, Joey. And I mentioned this before in a previous episode, losing weight is never an easy task. So kudos to you. You don't luck into it. It takes a lot of hard work and dedication. And it's amazing the fact that, you know, you're able to 
pursue your dreams and get to where you are today. Such an inspiring story for all of us here. And I just wanted to ask you, I went through your Twitter account. For those of you listening out there, please follow Joe on Twitter. But if you can give us a bit more perhaps on what you do with your clients and what your target client would be. Sure, totally. So I use proven science-based methods to help people improve their performance. So my target audience are business owners, entrepreneurs, executives at startups. And the way that I got to there is by realizing that the people I could best help are people that are doing similar things to me. So that's where I came to targeting business owners. And what would you say is your biggest value add? And do these people you coach have similar epiphanies? I'm sure they're all very driven personalities and look for that unlock or that life hack, if you will. And I'm sure the right person will take that science or that info and just run with it. I think it will be like an accelerant almost for their own success. And that must be pretty cool to witness. So the biggest thing that I can say that I do is I help people get out of their own way. So many of us know the things that we're capable of. We know the things that we should be doing. We know the impact that we could be creating, but it can be really hard for us to get ourselves out of our own way. You know, you can kind of think of life as a frequent struggle between the emotional part of our brain and the logical side of our brain. So that's why we have battles with impulses to do things that deep down we know that we shouldn't be doing. So what I do is you know, I give people a lot of accountability to help keep them on the path. I help remind them of the things that they should be doing, but I also give them guidance towards better habits and better systems with routines and things that people do almost every day and give them consistency, right? So a moment ago, you touched on how challenging losing weight can be. Well, the key to losing weight or building a business or achieving your potential really comes down to consistency. You're not going to get very far by doing one big thing or having one large burst of effort. It's the little things done with exceptional consistency that lead to exceptional results. That's a very powerful point. What do you think makes consistency so hard? And does there have to be some kind of iteration or thought process? Or can you be consistently bad at something and basically beat your head into learning where eventually you will have a eureka moment or you will notice something? Is there some science to being really bad at something enough where you actually become good? Being bad at something is really the first step to eventually becoming good at it. The big challenge with consistency is you may not get results at first or every time. So, for example, if you look at New Year's resolutioners who come off of the binging of the holidays and they vow that they're going to improve themselves and lose weight and everything, they start a gym membership and they start eating better and they start moving a bit more but they may not see results right away. And so they wind up getting discouraged and they may blame circumstances. They may say like, oh, well, this diet's stupid or this gym doesn't work. Or even worse, they may blame themselves. 
they may say, well, I'm just not good enough, or my genetics are wrong, or something like that, and then they give up. So the key is to stay on the course, but at the same time, be willing to adjust course if you need to. So taking that back to me and my business journey, for example, I started on YouTube and I created YouTube videos every single week for about eight months, but I wasn't seeing very many results. And I was spending 10 to 15 hours a week on each video. So for me to put that video up and get 20 to 50 views on it, five of which were probably my mom, that didn't feel good. So what I did was instead of giving up on what I was trying to build, I switched gears and switched to Twitter. And that is where I've really had accelerated growth. And of course, there's other analogs with weight loss as well, where, you know, you try one thing, you try this diet or this exercise plan, and it may not really be working for you personally. So you have to course correct a little bit and try out something new. But as long as your overall direction is forward and you're still taking action, then those little adjustments are perfectly fine. That's awesome. Would you say that whether it's Twitter or YouTube, as a content creator, as a person of influence who is changing lives and people decide to hit, I'm going to follow Joey's tweets. I want to learn from him. I want to channel what he's doing and I want to be part of that circle. I want to change my life. How do you think the network effect of that works and let someone who puts a thought out in the world and says, I want to be a content creator. I want to change the world in my own way. How do you go from a thought to getting a following? And what are some examples of that Twitter growth where YouTube didn't work? What exactly changed in the delivery in the content? Or is it just the frequency, maybe smaller sound bites? Because of course, Twitter is more digestible, I suppose. Or is it just maybe Twitter itself is more conducive to this type of content and people like it? What are your thoughts on that? So I would say here are three big keys for me, the three biggest takeaways from the past year and a half of me being on Twitter. I come from an engineering background. I come from a science communication background, but also come from a homeschooled background. So still working on social skills. But when I started, I was taking myself too seriously. I was arguing with people a little bit, especially when they came at me with some misinformation. And it was pretty cringe. But over time, I stopped taking myself so seriously and relaxed a bit and let my content be a little rough around the edges. And I've noticed that that resonated with people a lot more. The second thing was networking. So I will always say that I am where I am because of the people that I know. I started networking as much as possible with people really from the very beginning. And a big part of that is not being afraid of an account with big numbers under their names. We're all just people at the end of the day, whether we're anonymous or we are Joey Dowdy Cypreneur. So treat people like they're people and don't be too starstruck if you decide to approach them. So when you network with people like that, you're able to kind of tap into and leverage their own audiences. You know, when you get retweets or you get shares, or especially when you start getting mentions, I've had some people, past clients, like mention me and say like, yo, Joey's a great guy. He helped me level up in business. I'm earning more money. You should work with him. And once you get that kind of momentum going, that's when things really start picking up for you. 
And then the third thing is, yeah, exactly as you mentioned, shifting the way that I present my content, almost bite-sized chunks, because you only have 280 characters on Twitter. Twitter is a platform built for scrolling quickly. Human attention spans are at an all-time low. So to keep people, you really need to balance delivering value with capturing and holding attention. So that's why my friend Jose Rosado talks about this concept of education, entertainment, and inspiration. If you think of those like a triangle and you can tap into each of those, your content is going to be a lot more effective than one that leans heavily on just one of those aspects. So yeah, you can write a tweet that makes people laugh. Like I posted something a minute ago about Twitter gurus. It's just kind of funny, but it doesn't educate and it doesn't inspire. You really want to aim to balance those three pillars as much as possible. Joey, that's very, very interesting. You have one of your posts on Twitter pinned and I love how it goes. A year ago, you had a thousand followers and a year later you have 23,000. Fantastic progress. And there's reason for that. People like your content. Even I've been going through a lot of your posts and you're right. You have bite-sized messages and advice that you give. People actually can learn quickly, absorb it quickly and I have had Twitter for a amount of time. I hardly used it until very recently. So it is very, very inspiring. And you were able to utilize the tools that you had. So I think this in itself is a message perhaps for those people out there that are trying to see that it's never the end of the line. As you mentioned, there are always other means that you can grow yourself and improve. But I have also another question with regards to perhaps for those people that might think that this is the end of the line for me, whether it was with their careers or with their business, or even with self-development, people will come and approach you and ask you about how do I improve myself or how do I battle the challenges that I'm facing? What do you have to say to them at first? Do you mind sharing that with us? So the biggest key is to take an hour or an entire day if you have the time and think about where you're currently at, where you want to go, and what your challenges are. Now, that may sound simple, but a lot of people don't think about these kinds of things. They don't really have that awareness because our world moving fast. We have a lot of stuff to do. The days pass by so quickly, it can be hard to take that time, to find that time even. But if you gain a better insight and understanding into those three aspects of you, you're going to be far better equipped to deal with stuff going on in your current life, your current state of business, better equipped to deal with the challenges that you're facing. You know, maybe you're not as productive as you could be. Maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you just don't feel good every day. And then you'll be better equipped to identify the pieces and the path towards where you want to go in life and in business. And maybe you may figure out that, you know, I thought that I wanted to do this, but I actually really don't. And that happened with me, you know, when I started college, I started college as a business major. And then six weeks into it, I changed to computer engineering. I wanted to work for Intel, the processor company. And then I switched to NASA because I was a space nerd at the time. And then I wound up being a web developer for two and a half years. And now I'm doing performance coaching. Like I've left the industry and I'm not even using the degree that I have, but that's fine. As I said a little bit ago, it's totally fine to adjust whatever your compass points to as long as you're still taking action and moving forward. 
nobody is born and goes through life and knows exactly what they're going to do at five years old or 15 years old and does that same thing for the rest of their life. People experiment. There are ups and downs. They get sidetracked. Stuff happens. It's perfectly normal. But the trick is to maintain that clarity on those three aspects of your life, where you are, where you want to go, and what you're challenged by, because that awareness and that honesty is key to dealing with whatever challenges you may have. Awesome. What would you tell someone who is lost and doesn't know where they want to go? What is that discovery process like for you? Because I like to think that growing up, I ended up dropping out at a university, decided I wanted to find my own path as well. And it's probably one of the hardest decisions you have to make because conventional wisdom says it's wrong. You can't do it this way. It's not acceptable. What will people think? But I think this helps build up your conviction. And in the end, I think those kinds of turning points make people stronger, almost like planting tree roots. You understand yourself a lot better that way. Although it's not really clear at the time. So I don't think everyone goes down this journey. I think it's almost like it's got to strike you and you have to want it enough. It's got to be perhaps at the right place at the right time. And eventually you let go of the training wheels and the reins and you say, I'm going to make these decisions for myself. I'm going to learn and grow even if I don't know what I'm doing. And I always believe in having empathy for people. You don't know where they are in life, working two jobs. You can't really judge them. But do you think some people don't necessarily latch on to that or have that epiphany? Is it only some people? Do some people spend their whole lives never reaching that level? What are your thoughts on finding out who you are, essentially, and then growing from there? I'd say the vast majority of people go their entire life without ever realizing their potential, much less achieving their potential. And it's not for exactly a failure on their own part. It's just simply not thinking about it and not asking ourselves these questions. So one of the exercises that I do with my clients pretty early on is I send them a list of questions in a Google Doc, and I ask them to take about an hour to fill it out the first time and to treat it like a long answer exam. Seven questions. And the questions ask things like, what excites me? What do I like doing? What do I not like doing? What are my proudest achievements so far? What would I like to achieve? And it may seem kind of cheesy. It's very important to take an active role in our lives, right? There's so many people who are passengers in life, and they don't realize that they could take the driver's seat anytime they wanted, right? There are people who blame circumstances and genetics and luck and all these other factors. And yes, those things do play a part. But if you stop thinking of those factors as rules for how your life can go, and more of just variables or aspects of life, then that empowers you to look around for other things that you can use to your advantage, or you can overcome those things. There are tons of feel-good stories out there about entrepreneurs and athletes and other figures who have overcome terrible circumstances. Sylvester Stallone's story is one that comes to mind. Steve Jobs is another one. They took action and still made something of themselves. Another challenge is control and responsibility are inseparable. And when you accept control, you also have to accept responsibility. 
So for me, when I was 370 pounds and pre-diabetic, I had to accept responsibility for me being there, for me to be able to control where I went next with my health. And that can be extremely uncomfortable and distressing to people because people then start blaming themselves and they start feeling bad about themselves and they feel disempowered. And if you start disempowering yourself, then you're already losing the battle, really. So the key there is to simply accept your responsibility for where things are right now and move on and look forward. Turn around one last time and look at the past, your past decisions that have led you to where you are right now. Learn from them so you can not make the same mistakes, hopefully. And then look ahead and see what you're going to do next, all without disempowering yourself. That comment about variables, not rules, has got to be the most concise and clear way I've heard this put, which is, do you believe things happen to you or do you believe you can make things happen? And I think the psychological term is locus of control, which is either external and internal. And there's a psychological difference of someone believing they control their future or not. And it's really inspiring. And when you run into someone like yourself who has that conviction and says, I am in control, I think it's an awakening for people. And for those listening who believe they don't have exposure to this or they might not understand it, I always say that some of the most powerful things come from a gut feeling. They come from an understanding that something's not quite right. I'm not where I want to be. And listen to that and just lean into it. And the fact that you can just tear down all of life and say, it's a variable, it doesn't have to be that way, I think is just absolutely phenomenal. What would you say is something you focus on today? So you've come this far. Do you have any next steps in this journey? What are you working on that's on the cutting edge of where you are and where you want to be? So a project that I am extremely excited about that I'm starting to work on now is I'm going to create a performance program for startups. So I worked for a startup for three years in Chattanooga, Tennessee, a company called Bellhobs, and I love that culture. So I want to create a program for the founders and maybe even including the employees of startups to help them optimize their performance so they can get things done more efficiently. You know, the startup world moves fast. You've got to be able to get things done quickly to make your investors happy and make an impact and get ahead of your competitors. So I'm going to work on that. And I definitely want to tap into the startup world on Twitter. And I live in Atlanta, Georgia. So I know that there's some startups in downtown Atlanta. So yeah, it's something exciting. I am still working on that, still really getting started. But I know that it's going to be pretty cool when I get it to a place where I can actually share it with others. It does sound pretty cool, actually. And I think you're touching perhaps on a market that is maybe not thought of. Psychology has a lot to do with it. Perhaps the founders have that drive and the motivation or the vision of where they want to go to or where they want their startup to be. But it's interesting that you mentioned that you'd like to also include the staff there. I know, like you mentioned, it's still an early project for you, but Sounds very, very fascinating. Just a bit off topic, maybe you can share with us 
what a day looks like for you right now. I know you just recently left your full-time job to work on your dream right now, but if you don't mind sharing with us what your day looks like. Totally. So I immediately go into a morning routine, making my bed, feeding my cat, drinking a glass of water, getting a couple of minutes of direct sunlight, and then doing brain dump journaling. So just writing down anything that's on my mind, meditate for 12 minutes, and then look over my calendar for the upcoming day just to make sure I don't miss anything. I try to keep my calls to the beginning of the day when possible, because when I was balancing both my career and my business, obviously I couldn't book calls during the nine to five period. So I was having calls at 7.30 in the morning and then 7.30 at night. And those made for pretty long days. I wasn't exactly my best on those late night calls at that point. At noon, I go for a walk. I take my lunch with me. I live really close to a park. So I walk over to the park and have my lunch there. I do a daily walking video on Twitter. I'm at 356 straight days, I believe. And then I look at my day for the next day and make sure that everything's all good with my calendar, make sure I'm on track, and also prepare for any calls that I may have. After that period, do some content creation or calls or work on my business or reading. If I, It just depends on the day. Earlier in the week, I do more content creation. Later in the week, I do business work and reading. And then I have a nightly routine, turning off all my screens. I take my nighttime supplements. Shout out to magnesium glycinate and magnesium L3-inate. Those are awesome sleep supplements. And then during the evening routine, I do some stuff that doesn't really mentally or physically stimulate me. So just things like cleaning up and meal prep and petting my cat and things like that. And then I go to bed. So you may notice that I didn't mention times for waking up and going to bed. Personally, I wake up at 6 a.m. and I go to bed at 10 p.m. It's very important to get those eight hours of sleep. But the reason why I didn't mention them is that can be different for everyone. So in the world of hustle culture and all that stuff, people talk about the 5 a.m. club and you got to wake up at 5 a.m. to become a millionaire and all that good stuff. Well, that doesn't work for everyone. You know, there are some people who are legitimately, actually, genetically night owls and they work better at night. So they need to stay up later at night. Other people are actually morning larks, they're called. That term's used a bit less, but they're actually morning people. So getting up at 5 a.m. is going to work great for the morning people. They're going to love it. But it's going to be torture for the actual night owls. And the thing is that if you're one or the other, you can't really change that. You can't force yourself to become something different in that regard. You can't change your sleep chronotype. So it's important to experiment and figure out what time of the day you are most energetic and then build your schedule around them. You know, figure out when you're going to sleep, when you're going to go to the gym, when you're going to chill, figure out those things to work with your personal schedule as much as you can. That's awesome. I love how well thought out that is. And it seems like focus and understanding of who you are are some key concepts there that keep you on track. And you had mentioned it's the people you know who help get you to where you are. What are your thoughts on mentorship? And as you said, punching above your weight, maybe reaching out to bigger accounts, people you probably look up to and follow yourself. 
what's that process like if someone out there wants to find a new mentor or go after something new? Can you break that down for us? As I mentioned before, networking is one of the most important things to do. And there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. So real quickly, the wrong way to approach this is from neediness and desperation. So let's say you're going on a date with somebody. Humans just have this ability to tell through actions and words and your composure if you're desperate. So what you need to do is approach someone from a perspective of exchanging value. So if you have some way of giving value to the person, whether that's making something for them relevant to what they do or simply having a normal conversation with them or expanding on whatever it is that they're talking about. For me, I talk a lot about psychology and neuroscience. I like the people who have a conversation with me in my replies or in my DMs about how the brain works. As if they're coming from a place of being excited about this and wanting to talk about the brain more, that's awesome. So that's just one way to catch someone's attention. Another way is to follow them for a while. You can reply to their tweets, like I said, expanding on stuff, having a conversation. And if you do that consistently, you're going to get on their radar. You're going to stand out because they're going to keep seeing you over and over and over. Obviously, don't set notifications for them and reply to every single thing. Don't be like that. But if you have something to add, add it. Then eventually send them an email, DM them, something like that, and just introduce yourself. Be like, hey, man, I'm Joey. I really like your work. I like what you do. If you want to talk more sometime, let me know or ask them for guidance. Like, that's the thing. It's like the people around here are more than willing to help you out. As long as you seem to be like a cool person and you took some initiative. So there's a lot of people who, like a lot of my friends, me not so much because I'm not in the make money niche, but... There's a lot of people who get DMs that are just straight up, hey, man, how do I make more money? That's a really broad question, man. But if you ask better questions like, hey, I'm wanting to learn this skill. I'm wanting to learn web design. I want to make a web design agency or I want to learn copywriting. Hey, I saw that you did that. Do you have any advice for me? Do you have any books you recommend? Any courses that you'd recommend? Stuff like that. When you ask those better questions, you're going to get better answers and, of course, more respectful answers, right? And that's how you can start forming this long-term mentorship. It's not exactly that you ask someone to be your mentor. It's something that just kind of happens. You communicate with somebody for weeks and months, and then all of a sudden you've made it pretty far along, and you've got people in the community talking about you and your skills. You've got happy past clients that are bragging about you. And that's where things really get good. That's the point that I just hit a few months ago. Awesome, Joey. I love those thoughts on just to sum up consistency. Everything's a variable. Look to learn and grow from there and don't be afraid to reach out. It seems like we are our own worst enemies. And as you said, get people out of their own way is super important. Just to close off, why do you think people psychologically get in their own way? Is it just how we're designed as people or is it fear instinct? What's the reason behind why this kind of thing happens to people? So it's kind of a two-parted answer. One is that we have the emotional side of our brain, you know, the lizard brain, the limbic system, the amygdala, all that stuff. And then we have our logical brain, the prefrontal cortex, our decision-making center. 
And like I said earlier, life is frequently a battle between those two things. For example, when I was working on losing weight, I have the impulse to snack a lot or drink a lot or just lay around. But logically, I knew those things weren't good for me. So there would be this internal battle going on. Depending on how tired and stressed out I was, the impulse would win or my logic would win. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people are not aware of that at all. They're not aware of that dichotomy. They just think that whatever impulse they have is something that they want to do. And so they just go along with it. So the first step to overcoming that is gaining that awareness. I don't want to say you are not your brain because that's not entirely accurate. It's way deeper than that. But thinking about how some of these urges and impulses that you have are just automatic coming from a certain part of your brain. Once you have that awareness, again, you're better equipped to start battling against those and overcoming them. And as you get better at telling yourself, no, I'm not going to have that second bag of Doritos. I'm not going to have six beers in one night. You're going to get better at feeding back future urges and impulses. The second part of the answer is the brain wants very simple things for us, at least the older part of our brain. It wants to keep us safe. It wants to keep us comfortable. It wants to pass on our genes and make little mini-me's. It wants to keep our tribe and our community safe, so our friends and our family. And it also wants to maintain or even elevate our social status. So if you think about those five drives and go with those in your head and just evaluate the different things that you feel yourself pulled to do through the lens of those five basic drives, that will reveal to you how many of your impulses are just your brain trying to keep you safe and comfortable or trying to maintain your social status or trying to pass on your genes or whatever. And it may sound crazy, but that's really how the brain works looking at things through the lens of evolutionary psychology. And that worked out really well for our caveman ancestors back in the old days, but it doesn't work out so well for us in our modern society, because our modern society is completely different and has different demands and potentials than that society that we evolved into. All these things that we struggle with in our modern world are survival mechanisms, but survival advantages that we got generations ago. So as I've said over and over and over, awareness is the very first step. And then from there, you can start creating strategies for dealing with these different things so that they don't run your life. A lot of people in the space on Twitter that I'm in constantly talk bad about things like Netflix and video games and sports. Those things aren't inherently bad. You should be able to moderate them. You should be confident in yourself and your ability to moderate them. They're only bad if they become your life and they're hurting you and they're keeping you from becoming the person you want to be. That's when they're problematic. So the very first step to figuring out if they're a problem for you is looking at and evaluating your day-to-day -day life and asking yourself, is who I am now who I want to be? And the answer is probably going to be no. So then the next question is, what needs to change? That's really, really powerful. Awesome words. Just want to thank you for coming on the pod today. It's been amazing. Do you have any social handles you want to plug? You already mentioned the startup project. And we'll love to have you back for another episode once that launches. Where can people find you online? 
Yeah. So first off, thank you for having me. I always love having these conversations. People can find me at twitter.com slash Cypreneur. So that is P-S-Y-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm Joseph A. Dowdy, I believe. Or you can just search Joey Dowdy and you'll probably find me. Awesome. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.